listening to episode 243 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we conclude our look at season four of TNT's The Librarians. And yeah, as I was editing, I realized what I did last week as I said that, and you, you caught me. But yeah, end of a era, maybe. Uh, I've got a little, bit of, little okay. bit of Librarians news that will address that. But, you know, for now... Um, you know, we're going to return to our discussion of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse and episode three of season two next time. And we'll also give you guys some thoughts on some of the nominees for the 2018 Saturn Awards. We'll, we'll do a little bit each of the next few weeks. But uh, anyway, how you doing? Uh, gosh, decent weather today. No, well, not if you were just sitting out for four hours watching lacrosse games. It's ah. not. Good point. Yeah, I saw so, the I saw in the paper that actually some softball and baseball teams played yesterday. I'm thinking like, God, there must have been like still like little patches of snow in the outfield. But I yeah, yeah I was not. I was surprised to see our high school baseball team had got their game in today too because I know usually it uh, it rained a little bit today and that usually sends the uh, baseball and softball teams scurrying the minute the little precipitation gets on the ground. But not for Franklin's hardy baseballers all right so all right well uh you know as always wayne and i want to remind you we'd love to hear from you emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com go to the website leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab record your own audio clip if you want tweet us at sci-fi tv rewatch and encourage you to join the facebook group and join the discussions there so I, I mentioned a little bit of news, and at first I was a little skeptical of the source, but basically what the source is, somebody has Facebook messaging privileges with Dean Devlin, because I could see Dean Devlin's response and you know clearly his account. So according to Dean Devlin, both Sci-Fi and the CW have expressed interest in taking on the librarians. And so, Ooh. you know, if you're inclined and want to contact either or both networks, those are the two networks that Dean suggests contacting. So what expressed interest means, who knows? I, I, but it certainly is better than the, the alternative is that nobody's interested. Right. And it could be no one's interested in Dean Devlin's just trying to stir up some interest by claiming that they've received some interest. Oh, you know? well, see, well, see, I, I guess I'm not you know, so The old cynical. double blind there, you know. like yeah, You old guys are cynical, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, those are two perfect networks. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, obviously no sci-fi and the CW's got a lot of genre cred these days. So, you know, we'll wait and see. You know, as we find out more, we'll keep you guys posted. Cool. All right, keep now, my fingers crossed then. Yeah. All right, my tip of the week, and I think I've mentioned this before, and I know you haven't seen it, but it's Stargate Origins. And it's 10 episodes that are available as part of the Stargate Command package. So you pay like 20 bucks, and you get access to the entire Stargate franchise, the, the movies, the three series, and, and of course, Origins. And these are 8 to 10-minute episodes that comprise what basically amounts to a prequel neatly ties up one of the criticisms that the creators were retconning a pretty important aspect of the show because when I got to the end I'm like oh okay so I was wrong as I'm sure a lot of other people were but you know if you're a Stargate fan absolutely the one thing I'm not clear about is how much time your 20 bucks gets you in other words is it 20 bucks a year you know, I got access through, uh, you know, through Den of Geek and, you know, so I'm not sure because I, I looked at one thing and it was, or at least it seemed to me 20 bucks got you six months access. And I thought, well, you know, that that's a lot of Stargate to watch in six months. But anyway, you can check it out if you're interested. So what do you cool. got? I have a, a Netflix quote unquote original uh, called Tabula Raza. Oh, have okay. you seen anything about it? I have not. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so we had a couple of days off last week, so I had a little bit more time on my hands and was able to kind of binge it pretty much in like like three, four nights, I think. Um, it's a Belgian production. Uh, basically, this woman has not complete amnesia. She has 
basically she can't remember things. She had an accident and pretty much everything that happens to her after the accident, she really can't retain. So like she recognizes like her husband and her mother and people that she knew before the accident. But if she meets a new person now, like the next time she sees that person, she won't remember having met them and things like that. Um, so she's being questioned by this police officer because he believes she's involved in the disappearance of a man. Of course, she can't remember anything about it at all. And it was it was great. It was so good. Uh, the only downside was that the audio <clears> – <throat> well, I shouldn't necessarily say downside. But they didn't have English as an option in the audio. Now, if I spoke Brazilian Portuguese, I'd be set. Italian, I'm in. Polish, you bet, but uh, English, nothing. So, uh, so I had to watch it on subtitles, which actually was it's, it was fine. You know, like I, I actually don't have problems with subtitles, and you do get to hear the original actors speaking, which is cool. The only problem I have with subtitles is that, and especially in a, like this show, it seemed like especially the uh, lead characters wearing white a lot. And the subtitles are white, and when it's on something white behind it, it was very difficult uh, to read. That was my only thing. I, mean, like, I remember back in the day when I was in college, they used to do subtitles in yellow so that no matter what was behind it, you could read them still. So I don't know. That's my really only criticism, but it is very, very good. Uh, no real sci-fi elements to it. But definitely some strong thriller elements. Uh, obviously, a lot of psychology, and it was just uh, it was great acting, spectacular. Uh, everything about top notch production. Can't uh, recommend it high, highly enough. All right. Well, you know, I think any of you guys that have been listening to us for a while, there's a lot of just amazing foreign Netflix fare out there, and you know, and as you said, not all of it's genre, but yeah, I mean, we don't only watch genre i mean certainly dark was something that we both really loved and right. you know i i've mentioned cable girls which is not genre at all but it, it's a spanish netflix and it, it is just amazing and I, there's just so much out there that now I, you know i think a week ago i was saying geez what are we going to watch i don't know there's nothing building up on the dvr and i looked at it tonight and there's like four shows we got to watch and my wife wants to go back and look at season one of Jessica Jones now that she's nice. completed season two. So Yeah. Well, that's the thing with Netflix, too, is they're releasing so much content, like, you can't even keep up. Like, there's like it seems like every week they're releasing another show that I'm like, ooh, I'd like to watch that, you know? There was probably, like, you know, I picked Tabula Raza, but there was uh, another, another British show, I can't remember the name of it, that looked really good, and... Um, and there was something else besides that. So they're just, you know, they're, 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 like you said, they're getting, they're going overseas and getting like the best of the best from other countries and bring it back here. And it's, you know, pretty darn good. Yeah. And I think the only thing you and I disagree about is how to listen, that I prefer the actual language, even though I can't understand it, I'm, I'm willing to read the subtitles. If I had to do that for every show I watch, maybe I'd change my mind. But my experience has been, and I know you said this one doesn't even have the option of English audio, but the ones that do, it's just so bad. So, um, Well, yeah, I, I thought Dark was okay. Well, see, I, you know, that was the first foreign show on Netflix that I watched. And it has been a long time since we watched a foreign film. I mean, back in the day, we happened to watch a lot. But, uh, you know, so I guess moving forward, uh, it's it's something I'll probably, episode one of whatever the show is, I'll give it a chance for the English audio, but you know, make my mind up from there. So, Well, that's the thing with Dark. I started with the subtitles. And there was just so, like, that show especially, there's so many characters and there's so much dialogue. I was just, oh, I, it's probably just me. I'm getting old, I guess. Which is, but you know, it, just, it, was, it was tough to keep up with. And I, I tried, like, probably maybe the first two episodes. I was ready to ditch it completely until you're like, um, you can do the <laughs> <Yeah>. dub version. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. 
Yeah, so. so, all right. Well, let's get into some listener feedback because we heard from Fred in the Netherlands, and let's do what we always do: take a listen, and then we'll come back. So, here's Fred. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred uh, from the Netherlands with uh, his sixth Librarians flashback section. This time about season two, episodes two and three. Uh, in the previous podcast, I gave feedback on episode one of season two. I. Sh- should have given feedback for episode 1 and 2 together because these episodes really belong together. In the second episode, the Prospero and Moria tree story continues. They should have called them And the Living Books, part 1 and 2, instead of And the Drowned Book and the second uh, episode And the Broken Staff. So talking about this second episode... Um, I discovered that uh, it uh, it really belongs to, to episode one, but also um, is that Prospero and Moriarty remain characters in the second season and possibly even beyond. I was namely looking for your podcast about the second episode and I stum- stumbled over a picture of Eve with Prospero and Moriarty and this belongs to your podcast of season two, episodes eight to ten. So... We will see him back. Last week I said I disliked episode 1 because it was just too hectic, frantic and the humor was too overdone. In the meanwhile I listened to your podcast about that episode and understand why the both of you gave it a straight A. I think we can agree on that a part of the difference in grading is due to your, to your deeply rooted love for Shakespeare and my almost lack of Shakespeare knowledge. Also probably the reason why I like the Moriarty part of it better, knowing more about Sherlock Holmes. Nevertheless, after listening to your podcast, I could appreciate it more and was ready for episode 2. I liked that much better, even the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland and Frankenstein's Monster, although they could have picked a better actor and and did better makeup for him. I love the fact that Eve frees Jenkins from the classy cube just by smashing it. Everybody looked amazed and Eve says, What? This job is not all about obscure knowledge, people. And we also discover that Jenkins is a knight of the round table. The funniest uh, moment in the episode is Eve to Stone. Okay, okay, how does Alice defeat her in the book? Stone, well, she doesn't. She just wakes up. It's all a dream. And then Eve terribly pinches Stone in the arm. I have two nitpicks about this episode. When Prospero blows all the letters out of an open book, not only the letters of the two open pages are blown to the ground, but all the letters of that book. Uh, when Eve picks up Alice in Wonderland and, and the Frankenstein books, they are completely empty. Second nitpick. If a whole book with multiple characters in it, is blown to the ground, why only a certain character comes out. So why not Sherlock instead of Moriarty, or the Mad Hatter instead of the Queen of Hearts? Flynn at the end of the episode, I just don't remember what that tree was. I think it was important. Okay, episode 3, and what lies beneath the stones. It's a story mainly about desecrating an ancient Native American burial ground by Stone's family business. A spirit is set free and that thrives on lies and creates chaos. I liked the article on Jake's laptop by Oliver Thompson, a.k.a. Jacob Stone, because it deals with the Dutch colonies in the New World. Stone admits to Cassandra that he is still writing on the false names. It's nice to get some insights in Stone's family background, although nice is perhaps not the right word. Um, In this episode there is the best crossover ever. Cassie says, You know that thing where you're watching TV and you compute the size of the sets based on the height of the actor and the number of steps it takes? Like how Nathan Fillion is six foot two and it takes him 43 steps to walk across Serenity. So you know that that spaceship is 204 feet across. Ezekiel, no, 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 no one knows that thing. Cassie, well, I do. 
A very funny part is where Ezekiel and Cassandra have to keep telling each other all their secrets to keep the tomb door open. Jenkins the stone at the end, we cannot help where we come from, but we can choose how it manifests itself. Stone, you're saying that what we are made up of is different than what we are made of. And as a geneticist, I like that phrase. This was all. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Great feedback as always, Fred. And and now you know why we were reticent to say things about Jenkins now that you, you realize who Jenkins really is. So that that was certainly a, a cool reveal for me. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I'm trying to think back to when uh, for, that was first revealed, but that's one you kind of remember that because we, we always knew there was something about Jenkins, and when you find out, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, now Fred also mentions about the picture of Eve with Prospero and Moriarty on the on the website, and, and number one, he mentions that that podcast combined episodes eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, back in the old days, geez, Fred, if you were if you ever go back to watch Lost Girl, we we had some weeks where we were covering four episodes, which, gosh, in yeah. retrospect, I don't know what the hell we were thinking, but <laughs> <laughs> we were on a schedule. We were on a schedule, yeah. man. You, you you come up to the lunchroom, you had your your calendar in front of you, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I still, as I said last time, Fred mentioned Moriarty, one of my favorite characters in, in the Librarians. Now. He says, I liked it much better, even the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland and Frankenstein's monster, although they could have picked a better actor and better makeup for him. And and I just wanted to address the makeup. And Fred, I, I hear you. And, and it's something, you know, we've talked about from time to time that sometimes the special effects seem to really get short shrift on the librarian's budget. And I guess it's, you know, for me, and I'm pretty sure for you too, Wayne, it's, it's just a concession we made long ago yeah. and it is what it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and we understand that. And, you know, I think part of that in some ways, like the show has embraced that, like they don't try to get super awesome. Like they keep their special effects just this side of cheesy, you right. know? Um, like the lightsabers and everything, it's just it's it's a, it's supposed to be a fun show, right? And yeah. and they want you to not sit there and and, and we and we really haven't nitpicked. Every now and then, they do something that's a little groanable, but uh, for the most part, they you know they they're purposefully, I think, not having like the super realistic special effects because they want to keep you like like this is a fantasy and it's an enjoyable family show. And we're not trying to knock you out with special effects. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna rope you in with you know strong writing, fabulous acting, and uh, just a great great stories and great episodes. Yeah. Okay. Now you just mentioned the word nitpick, and, and I just want to address one nitpick that that Fred mentions, and he said if a whole book with multiple characters in it is blown to the ground, why? does only a certain character come out? Why not Sherlock instead of Moriarty or the Mad Hatter instead of the Queen of Hearts? And Fred, I wish I had an answer. I don't think that was ever addressed. I don't, I don't I, know if you I remember. We, I don't recall ever addressing that yeah. at all. So, just, so it's a good just question, be, though. Yeah, just because. All right, yeah, and, and yeah then, exactly. Now, last week, Fred inquired whether we'd consider podcasting Star Trek Continues. And, you know, at the time, I, I guess I just wasn't reading carefully enough because I assumed he was referring to Star Trek Discovery, but clearly Fred's referring to the fan-produced series, which, I, you know, now that I've researched it a little bit, it's really cool. I don't know if you had a chance to look, but I did I, not. I, I watched a, li a few minutes of episode 101, and, and Fred will definitely take it under consideration, but basically what it is is a fan-produced look at a continuation of Star Trek, the original series. So there are 11 full episodes. You know, the, the one I was looking at, I think, is 51 minutes. I saw a few that were 48. And, you know, it, it's the characters we know, Kirk, Spock, Bones, clearly different actors, although there are a lot of well-known actors that show up in the 11 episodes, not necessarily as the character we know them as, but mm -hmm. one of the things that immediately struck me, uh, production values, 
um, you know, pretty damn good for a fan-produced uh, production. And then I thought, but wait a minute, we're comparing this to the production values of Star Trek, the original series, <laughs> yeah. and that was awful. Yeah. Well, you know, at the time, not so much, but as we look at it now, yeah. Yes, yes. But uh, to answer but, but your again, question— But again, that's like something that, that Star Trek, even back then, embraced that, right? Again, like they had—the the special effects were not believable at all. They were very cheesy. I think even as a kid, I would kind of look at it and be like, eh. But the show just kind of embraced that. And again, that's part of the show, part of its charm, you know? Right. So here, I, I believe, is it CBS that owns the rights to Star Trek? Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. And uh, not that the, this fan production has their blessing, but they have basically cbs is saying go ahead and do it as long as you're not making money from it so that apparently they're giving money to charity and they they did the indiegogo campaigns to raise money and and some of the other fundraisers so cbs is okay with it which again i've only seen a few minutes but that tells me right off the bat it must not be too bad if cbs is allowing it sure and from the little bit I read, it does bring some resolution to that first incarnation of Star Trek and those characters that many of us grew up with. So, Fred, Wait, did we uh, not get resolution with those characters? Well, there's like uh, eighty movies. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, but uh, but anyway. So, Fred, I, I would say it's likely we'll at least take a look at the first episode and talk some about that, but. Um, it's on the radar, under consideration, and you know, as always, Fred. Thanks for your feedback. So, well, I just got one thing because he did mention the uh, article that Jacob was researching about Huguenots in the Hudson Valley. Oh, yeah, and uh, you know about how because obviously the uh, Dutch were the original settlers of New York, and if you go to upstate New York and definitely Long Island. Uh, there's uh, still strong populations of Dutch families uh, living there. So I, I actually meant to post this, and maybe I'll still put the post, uh, the picture that I took up. I, about three weeks ago, I took my son up to visit Hofstra University, which is in Western Long Island, and one of the the actual the dorm that they took us to visit was called the Netherlands. So I was going to put the picture up on the website. Hey, Fred, look, I visited the Netherlands. Nice. It was in Long Island, New York, but still. And, and, and Fred also mentions, you know, uh, Jake writing under a pseudonym. And, and that's certainly something that becomes important as the series progresses and, and Jake coming to terms with, you know, who he is. But again, we're not going to say any more. All right, so let's get to the final episode of season four, The Librarians and the Echoes of Memory. Episode 12 of season four, written by Kate Rorick, who wrote Hidden Sanctuary, Reunion of Evil, Cost of Education, Fable of Doom, and she co-wrote a few others. I didn't list them all. Directed, as you might imagine, for a season finale by Dean Devlin, and it aired February 7th, 2018. And essentially, this is part two of what appears to perhaps be a series finale as well as a season finale. And how are you? Hope, hope springs eternal, man. Well, yeah, hope springs but, eternal. But but how are you feeling if it's the series finale? That's funny you should ask that, Dave. Because well, probably maybe not funny. It is ironic that you should ask that um, because I remember the first time I saw this episode. I remember thinking, just not that I even thought that the 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 series was being canceled. But you always, I guess, whenever you have a series that's kind of on the bubble, which is almost everything that we watch, and you know, it's from year to year, when you get to the end of the season, you have to ask yourself, okay, if this is the very last one, what do I think of that? And I remember thinking when the first time I saw this, going through that, just that little mental like, okay, if it doesn't get renewed next year, what do I think about this as being the series finale? And I think, you know what? I think I like it pretty good as a series finale. I think it works pretty well with that. You don't necessarily have to have people hugging and stuff like that, but it, I think it did a good job of, of wrapping it up should this be the last one that they make. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, as a season finale, it was 
awesome, outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. But, but as you said, as a series finale, pretty damn effective as well. I mean, I think you have to be happy if you're Dean Devlin and this is how you end your series, given everything, as you mentioned, the not knowing. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. Right. And you know what? You get so many, like when like shows know that it's going to be the end and they just have like this episode with lots of flashbacks and everything like that. And they bring back every single person that ever co-starred on it and everything. You know, I'll take this, I think, you know. one. I, I thought one of the best episodes I've seen, period, of, of The Librarians. Even, I don't know, that might be, that's probably a lot of hyperbole, but even if you don't buy that, you have to admit it was an extremely strong episode. Go out like that. Go out doing what you're good at, the well-written, well-directed, well-acted, strong, interesting, action, humor, all the stuff we love about the librarians. They basically checked off every box for this episode. And, you know, what more could you ask for? So you're going B plus then, huh? Yeah, B minus maybe. <laughs> you're a tough grader, but I, I, I get the sense that uh, we're probably at a solid A. I don't know if you're going plus. You can hold off on that if you want for a while. But, uh, you know, the opening scene right away, we get that six weeks earlier. Flynn's packing. Nicole enters the bedroom and wants him to come with her. And, and you know, for a moment, you're feeling like, gosh, you know, he, he has to be torn because at one time he was in love with her. He feels guilty about abandoning her. But he tells her, I can't. I'm going to tether to the library. I love Eve. Wrong answer. Whacks him in the head. And then we're like, all right. So now when I mentioned about whether I hold Flynn responsible for Jenkins' death, I, I really can't anymore. Right. I, I couldn't tell you, man. You know, like it's been, I've been holding off on that like for weeks now, <laughs> trying to keep my mouth shut. You know, I've been kind of like trying to steer you in the right direction, but you would, you would not be moved. So, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, we, we then jump ahead to present day and, and it's, oh, oh, sorry, before that. So are we to suppose that this is all part of Nicole's evil master plan that she was going to brain Flynn over the head like she tricked him into going bowling so he would have his bowling ball packed up so she yeah I'm sorry just bitterness about last episode still moving on okay all right well you know this episode then moves to the present day and we see even that parking lot where we left her in episode 11 Mm -hmm. and she's aware that she's got to remember the library or it's going to fade from memory you know, realizes that she, she needs some sort of a tool to help her remember. And, you know, she, she finds herself in the library. She starts, you know, remembering artifacts, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, a memory palace, she calls it. Yes. You know, she has the tethering ring and she heads into town, finds that TV, and then sees that recording that Flynn made that's, you know, stored on the little hard drive, you know, embedded in the ring. Uh, fills in Eve about Nicole's plan. And I love that line, you know, got to tell you though, Nicole's evil. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing was, that was uh, awesome. Like not quite up there with blink uh, the, you know, the recorded recording, talking to the people watching the recording and having like having a conversation with it. Yes. But pretty close to that level of uh, writing mastery. I, I liked a lot. Very fun. Of course, you know, just Noah Wiley gets to cut loose as Flynn here. So, yeah, I just, just really outstanding. And you, you said it a few minutes ago, there's nothing this episode lacked in terms of librarian elements. I mean, it had it all. I mean, you know, the, the physical humor, the, the great dialogue, the, you know, the really emotional parts. Again, just nothing it didn't have. But what I didn't like, I don't like Cassandra Killian devoid of color. I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> okay. The glasses K- were nice, though. Khaki does nothing for her. <laughs> All right. Now, you know, this whole depiction of the company town, uh, you know, we talked last time about the washed out colors. It appears to be set in the early 1960s. And 
obviously what we're dealing with here is an alternate reality that somehow Nicole has created. We don't really ever learn how it is she did it, but I guess, that, okay, fine. Well, and, and see, like, I know, like, like I nitpicked a lot of the last episode, but in this one, I didn't care. Like, yeah, yeah that's a valid question. How did she do it? But it doesn't dwell on it. Okay, it's there. Move on. Let's get, let's continue with the story, right? Okay, but my question is, why the 1960s? Why not the 50s? Why not the 70s? Um, and I and I I wonder whether it has to do with you know the 60s being that I think that last bastion where people did not question things as much. I mean, once we hit the the late 60s and you know the, the Vietnam War and then Watergate and all of these things, where you know suddenly all of these people in whom we placed our trust, we realize have been breaking that trust all along. And, and, and now we're no longer going to just simply follow along blindly. So I thought that's why they chose that time period. And, and just from a visual standpoint, whether it's the design of the automobiles or, the, you know, the little town, and I, I thought it was perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I was about this. The word I was going to use was conformity, though, right? Because that's a big theme of here of, of, of non conformity, breaking that conformity. Um, but yeah, we, we do tend to think of this period in the late 50s, early 60s as this last gasp of innocence, slash also like conformity, right? Where everyone was the same and everyone had the same white picket. Now, of course, there was this underside to society. That the time but we don't see that in leave it to beaver or i love lucy and everything um you just see the you know the nice picket fence houses uh the you know two kids two parent families with separate beds and uh you know so it's this almost just like this idyllic time like as you said where we didn't question things we we didn't distrust the uh the higher powers and it was quite frankly this you know, booming period for America post-World War II, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, this episode clearly has an Orwellian feel to it. Uh, the, we've got the thought police. We, we've got the, uh, you know, the Matrix-looking uh, guys with the dark suits and the glasses, which I thought was cool. A, a, a little bit out of character, but not really, because certainly, you know, men wore suits like that at, at this time period. But, sure. Very matrixy, though I thought. Yeah, but but you know, what does the company represent? You know, I guess just this mindless following, this group think, if you will. And this right, well, Eve even asked Jake. She says, "You know, what does the company do?" He's like, "I don't know." <laughs> right. I never thought about it. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm thinking about the alternate reality, though. Is this supposed to represent what the world would be like without the library? Yes, I think that's supposed to be what, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. because certainly, you know, they talk later in the episode about the pursuit of knowledge and creativity and curiosity, all of which the library represents. So uh, you know, I, I thought that was really a nice touch. You know, again, I, I love that George, uh, what the heck, uh, the... It's a wonderful life, George Bailey. Bailey, uh, yeah. you know what what life would be like if you weren't here. I mean, I love right. that kind of approach. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, really good. Especially with yeah, again, the you can't get away from the influence of "It's a Wonderful Life" here, with Eve going around saying, "Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am?" and and everyone being like, "No, who are you?" So yeah. right. So I mean, what would life not only be like without the library, but without the librarians. Um, Correct. So you know, it goes back to, you know, and you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago. Why does Nicole create this alternate reality? I mean, what is she? I mean, is it really just to bring down the library as she says? I mean, I guess we have to take her at her word or does she think Flynn will go with her and you know, they'll live happily ever after. But Let's say for the sake of argument, he goes with her and she doesn't have to whack him over the head. Then what? It, it, does she yeah. still create this alternate reality and that's where they live? I mean, that doesn't seem like too much fun. You can't imagine Flynn Carson being happy there. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, again, as part of the 
the, the best librarians episodes is we think about things like that and then kind of like dismiss and say, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, nope. like <clears throat> the, it's uh, what's going on is so good that we don't really, you know, necessarily a- ask those questions though. But yeah, like what is her motive though? Like what is she, like you can tell she's doesn't, you know, she won't have them like lobotomize Flynn um, so she wants him still to be able to think and, and be, but she just wants him to accept this world and forget the library. Right. But so, why? I mean, I, yeah. Because she feels the library wronged her all those years. I, I, because what we learned last week is she had as much a hand in that as Flynn did. True. Right? So, yeah. Well, yeah, somewhat. I mean, she certainly feels like the, the wrong party as she was, you know, like 500 years. When it gets down to it, it is definitely unclear as to what she wants, what she has planned. It seems like maybe she has some idea of reuniting with Flynn. Um, But, uh, but it's in the long run, it boils down to she's bad. Flynn's good. Let's go. Right. Because she has him reset several times when a more permanent solution is available and i'm thinking like well why avoid the permanent why not go straight to the permanent she eventually makes that choice but you know she tells him you know you simply need to accept your new reality which knowing flynn carson that's not something that he would ever come to accept i just can't see that um you know one of the other things that 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 occurred to me you know you mentioned uh, Stone and, and he was the one, the first one that Eve encounters as the used car salesman, which <laughs> I thought was a nice touch as well. Because if there's any profession that has a bad reputation outside of lawyers, it's <laughs> the car salesman. Sure, and, especially the used car salesman. <laughs> right, and you know she mentions the library and, and it, it it jogs a dream he had. And then she tells him, you're a librarian, and if you come with me, I'll prove it to you. And I'm thinking, again, it's like, okay, I mean, am I just reading too many Matrix illusions into here, into this? No, not at all, because the, the Matrix is all over this episode. There's okay. no doubt about it. Right. So I thought that was So real. she's got to show him the, uh, I can't remember if it's the red pill or the blue pill, but yeah, like. Right. Now. Cassandra, you know, we just said Stone as a used car salesman. Cassandra, oh my God. I mean, a mind like hers and her yeah. job is to staple. Staple. Well, they have some pretty exact requirements for their stapling, obviously. So, Well, they were clearly in my classroom. My kids used to, I used to drive them crazy. I was like, one staple. I'm taking points off if there's more than, because you know what kids will do. They'll staple their yeah. paper. Oh, I forgot to put the rubric oh, on. All right, I'll yeah, staple that. Right. Well, now you got two staples. Well, but and I need no. Now you got three staples. Well, you're yeah. I'm going to take off. Uh, anyway, uh, they say I'm a tough grader, right? But early on, her mind is apparently wandering, and, and you know, it's uh, if the guy says it was like a millimeter off or or whatever. But but again, for somebody with her mind to have this job. Again, I thought just perfectly placed within the context of this alternate reality. Yeah, and it goes back to, again, this idea of conformity and how, and they kind of, again, this is like what the librarians does so well, where they're making these comments on society and how, you know, we go through our lives, you know, how you can be in a job that is so utterly pointless, but not even think about it and, and honestly she's worried that she's not when she doesn't staple well enough you know and she yeah. doesn't ask the questions like well why do i have to staple in this spe- specific place how come i can't staple in the center you know and everything and, and so you know we again we just were given that kind of like comment on you know on like conformity and unquestioningly following whatever it is you're following Right. And I forget the exact wording, but everything you already know is all you need to know. Right. You know, just that there's no reason 
to go further. Anything you need, you already know. And she's got Oh, there was that- when Eve was in the, uh, the mental institution. Oh, is that when it comes up? Okay. Yeah. Because at, at this point, you know, the, this first meeting that Eve has with Cassandra, with the, you know, the stapling incident, and Stone notices that Cassandra has that sheet filled with mathematical and scientific notations, and, and her first reaction is, I don't want anybody to think I'm a problem. And, right. And again, I mean, the whole conformity, and, and, you know, again, I we haven't made a sports reference in a while, I don't think. 1965, Joe Namath, New York Jets. Every player in the NFL wears black cleats. Not Joe Namath. Right. He's wearing white. Yep. And it just I, I, so much of what we see in this, I don't want anybody to think I'm a problem. Not to stand out. The, back to that conformity. But uh, the thought police come in and her mind comes up with the perfect solution again uh, she's going to create a distraction i'm not sure how she put some paper in one of those i don't know what you call those things i mean obviously we've seen tube i guess yeah or, tube, or yeah uh whatever oh, but yeah but whatever i mean the whole system blows up all right fine i'll accept it <laughs> that's okay right. yeah yeah and, but, you know and also you know i mean we also have like the very steampunkish type uh, machines here in the tubes like you know looks like the, you know the movie brazil with all the the, the tubes and everything that i thought that was pretty cool well and and probably my favorite recognition scene in the episode is when eve takes and, and you know it, it, again it almost seems like a wizard of oz that that eve now has two of the three with her and she tells them we need to find ezekiel jones and they both look a little confused, and, and they know him. He's a television game show host. Right. Of course, it's the only show. Yeah. And <laughs> Cassandra tells Eve that he's the most famous person in the world. He's even better looking in person, Stone says. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, that was hilarious. That was and really and I started thinking that, oh my gosh, if there's some way this alternate reality was recorded, Jones would have so much fun after the fact <laughs> right but but of course i don't i don't think that's uh gonna happen but then cassie and stone create a distraction by auditioning live for ezekiel's show and i thought oh, that's a nice callback to the disenchanted forest and the camp right. talent show when they were trying to yeah. create a distraction right right um yeah absolutely and you know again um, you know, they're getting all these little commentaries in on society, and clearly this one they're attacking TV shows and probably some of the very TV shows that will get renewed this year. I'm <laughs> like, you know, like I Fell Down would definitely get renewed, right? Like it's not far off from some of the stuff we see in popular television today. Again, showing that absolutely mindless, unquestioning aspect of this society and how it's just so there's no color and there's no light and there's no joy there at all yeah i mean there's no creativity no curiosity you know all of those things but i think if you if you think back to the 60s and you know i mean there was no cable well if there was it's certainly not cable as we know it today but it was a pretty limited palette as to what was available on television and most of the shows were pretty inane and uh, you know the most of the comedies were pretty silly but Whoa, it's all we, I know you're not talking had. about leave it to beaver oh uh, well no of course not leave it <laughs> I'll tell you, the last time I was at the uh, place where you get your blood test, I can't think of what it's called now. It's, you know, whatever insurance, it seems like that's right. the one you've got to the, go the to. The blood test place, yeah. Yeah, the blood test. LabCorp or whatever. LabCorp, exactly. That that was on TV. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Nice. Uh, but uh, so- you know, Eve confronts Jones in his dressing room with the dream story, which is, you know, the, the thread that brings them all together. And, and it, it, it did take me back to that little thing that 
you know, I think it was you that criticized Jenkins, that little thing he had with a little thread going to each of those, but Mm -hmm. it it almost had that feel, not in concrete terms, but, you know, the dream is that thread and he knows there are books and, and, you know, she keeps going back to the kitty cats, which, you know, are the two lions on either side of the steps at the library. And those seem to be the things that, that really have connected her to the library that, that for whatever reason, those are the things that she just can't forget. Right. Well, they're just the three things that she's able to kind of lock in her memory. Uh, as she realizes her memory's fading the, and, and that's the rule of three, right? Which also was a, um, another librarian's episode right yeah uh but that we you know like we know things and we can learn things in groups of threes right and so it makes sense that she would be able to you know as she realizes her memory is fading that there's three concrete things that she can latch on to to remember the library right Right. now you know you mentioned it and and yeah i had that in my notes that eve ends up in the padded cell and, you know, Nicole comes in and tells her, you should have just forgotten him. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they've got like, you know, those respect the company posters, medication makes you happy. And, and what I was trying to remember, what I already know is enough. And right. just that, that idea of, of crushing curiosity. And, and mm-hmm. again, you know, very Orwellian thought police. Flynn is in the gray and that's when the two of them make their first connection. And and he starts mentioning names from the library that he remembers. And then he tells her that she reminds me of something I don't want to forget, you know, hear about the, the threat of the reset, but it's really once those two make that connection, that really everything starts taking off in, in, you know, the last third of the episode. Yeah. And I thought also one thing here is, I don't know if they did this purposefully, but Eve really reminded me of uh, Sid from Legion in the first episode last season where uh, they're in the institution and she's got like a hoodie on and her hair is down and everything. Um, so I don't, again, I don't know if they went for that on purpose, but to, to me that was very reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. Now, now the other detail I really liked is, you know, once Eve, you know, searches for Flynn and she, you know, gets into his padded cell and she finds that he's got that whole wall uh, of drawings and connections and, you know, things that obviously are related to the library that, as he says, even if we forget, even if we're not around, somebody else can take this and rebuild it. And there's even that drawing of the two of them dancing, which that yeah, was really touching. Yeah, it was nice. And and then, of course, they kiss, suddenly find themselves in the library in real time, but then the door to the cell opens, everything returns to gray, and Nicole and her henchmen enter. And, you know, at this point, I guess I kept hoping that Nicole's character would soften or that this is all some horrible mistake yeah, and she killed Jenkins, though, dude. Like, I understand that. And I guess it, it just goes back to connections I have with Rachel Nichols and characters that she's played, whether in Alias oh, or Continuum. Pathetic. Well, yeah, I mean, that that was, uh, <laughs> you know, even though she was only in one season of Alias, it was a long season, and, you know, 20 or 22 right. episodes, and then, you know, four seasons of Continuum. But I don't So, I don't, so you're, you're hoping Rachel Nichols will play someone who is not irredeemable. Yes. And if there is a criticism I have, and, you know, we'll get to that in a few minutes, you know, the way that aspect of the episode, you know, on the one hand, I like it. On the other hand, it's, ah, come on, you're making me just accept too many things blindly, which is <laughs> ironic given what this company town is all about. Right, right, you true. Know? Right. So, well, yeah, well, you're not supposed to be doing that, right? You're not just supposed to be – you're supposed to be asking questions, Dave. Yeah, I I understand. So, you know, we see at this point are, are a lot of the really the action-filled sequences. And I, I loved when they locked themselves in that cage, okay? Mm-hmm. And then 
all of the other patients and probably guards and doctors start coming up to the cage, banging on the cage. And it made me reminiscent of, you know, pick a zombie movie or a zombie right. TV show. Sure, sure. Well, the, the one guy starts climbing it. And I'm like, where are you going? yeah i think i'm pretty sure the fence goes all the way up to the ceiling so i don't know but yeah yeah like especially like walking dead um not so much recently but when they were in the prison that whole thing of the uh you know the walkers being right up against the fence and it's just a chain link fence um you know that can be pretty uh pretty scary thing yeah and so you know, they get back to the library. Flynn tells them they need to manifest the library. They, you know, they join hands. Eve tells each of them, you know, what it's about. Library exists inside. You know, there's no place like home. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, right. Uh, uh, Flynn's the heart and soul of the library. And, of course, they find themselves back there. The alternate reality's gone. But the reality that everything's great, oh, but Jenkins is dead. No Jenkins, right. Right. And, and Eve says some things can't be fixed. And then Flynn's plan is that he wants to rewrite Nicole's history. <laughs> and okay. right. So we're really getting, I mean, we're, we're dealing now with the aftermath of this alternate reality, the realization that Jenkins is still dead. Flynn comes up and says, but wait, I've got the toaster of Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like okay yeah which um, is like kind of like i've been inveighing against that last week about finding some magical deus ex machina to help out but i guess i'll kind of let this one go it was pretty funny i have to admit well and thank goodness for spell check spelling albuquerque but you're right uh, <laughs> i got the al right yeah, um as long but, as you made that left hand turn there then you're good exactly so so his plan is to find where she was in history at the point she made the step that turned her dark. Now he wants to stop her from becoming immortal or so we think, you know, she's going to drink something. And my question is he gets Nicole to rewrite her own history simply by going back and asking. Well, because she hasn't, she hasn't gone bad yet. She hasn't gotten all bitter and angry. She hasn't had hundreds of years to stew and to be pissed. Okay. So he kind of gets her back then. And it's just like, listen, well, here's your life story. First of all. So, you know, you only have to worry about making decisions. It's all taken care of for you. And, uh, you know, but just do it for the right reasons rather than, you know, like before she has a chance to get angry at the library. Right, and I guess that that's true because she does say, "I, you know, she hugs him. I, I knew you wouldn't forget me, or you know, or something to that effect." And it appears to be roughly Elizabethan era, so I'm not sure how he determined, uh, you know, at, at what point in her timeline he needed to go. But right. uh, again, no, no matter, you know, she's about. They just to kind of scrolled through the the toaster, like like they're looking through the pictures on his cell phone, you know. Right. But he does tell her that she can't go back to her original time, that she still has to become immortal, but for the library. And and as she says, I knew I was a guardian. I didn't realize I was a guardian for the library, which I thought that was a great touch. I, I really like that, you know, mm-hmm. because Eve is his guardian. She is now the librarian's guardian. And it also opens up the possibility that should there be more librarians that there could we, we be could more bring Rachel Nichols. back. Exactly. Yep. Or some other actress with a British accent. <laughs> and then. The Rachel Nichols doesn't have a British accent, though. Well, it's pretending to have a British accent. Right. <laughs> but uh, then I love her, her final line see you in 500 years, which, of course, is, is a play on. Now, how does she know that? I, I, she obviously skipped to the end while Flynn was talking. Okay. She, she read the last page. That's okay. that's probably not the last page, but yeah, the last couple of pages. Right. So, Spoilers. Okay, so you know we get a call back to the scene where everything started. Flynn wakes up, Excalibur, you know, pokes him in the side, then whacks right. him over it's the at head. the beginning of the whole season. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's you know while it's not oh you know guess what it was all a dream. Well, 
No, it wasn't a dream. So it, it just we, never happened now. Well, you know, and, and now we're in the, the time travel arena. Obviously, Jenkins comes walking through because, like, like you said, it never happened. And as much as I'm happy to see Jenkins still alive, on the one hand, I feel a little bit cheated. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I mourned his death. Right, right. And, and that was the thing because they cremated him. So, like, even as I am not really accepting his death, I'm like, no, he's going to come back. They'll do some magical stuff. They'll return his immortality, something. And then also he's cremated. I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty unambivalent. <laughs> Right. Like they want to make sure that he's properly dead. And then all of a sudden he pops back up again. So, yeah, I, it, it does feel a little bit of a cheat. Yeah. But, you know, Flynn wakes up and he, he makes the connection that because of everything he sees around him and all the people he sees, that Nicole must have rewritten her history, you know, for a positive uh, reaction and relation with the library. Eve comes down in that white gown for the ceremony. Uh, Jenkins uh, obviously there and in fact Jenkins box hey we're supposed to do it on the equinox I'm like dude do it now everybody's yeah. here everybody's <laughs> let's, ready let's get this done so he begins the ceremony the picture fades out and, and as we said at the top of the show as perfect an ending as I think we could have hoped for yeah yeah and I don't know if they again you know, I, I can't remember what show it was. I, can't, I don't know if it was a show that you and Michael were talking about, but I just remember, you know, someone talked to a showrunner saying, well, we, we basically construct our season finales to, you know, to be potential series finales because we are year from year. We don't know. Um, and so I don't know if they, you know, had that in mind saying, let's make, this really great episode that even if it's the last one, it'll hold up as the last one. And, uh, you know, cause they definitely did that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm just debating whether I'm going to add the plus to my a, you know, season finale, series finale. I mean, I don't know. It's as good as it gets. I mean, what does it take to get an a plus? I mean, I, so. I'm ready to hand out, hand one out here. Okay. Well, then we're in agreement. <laughs> So, uh, anything else you want to bring up that, that we yeah, didn't talk about? Yeah, one thing you didn't talk about that was great, and when you know, like we, you would when you talked to Christian Kane, he said this is for the fans. The three librarians break into the the uh, factory. They're stopped by the guards, and it's like, "Who are you?" They all say, three say, "We're the librarians." And the guy says, "Oh, okay." So <laughs> finally, here. At the end of it all, it finally works for them. Right. And, and, you know, the beauty of it is that now that they're back in their original reality, they probably don't remember that. See, that's the right. other thing that we don't know what they remember about being in that alternate reality, if they remember yeah. it at all. I don't think they – it seems like – because Eve and uh, Flynn are happy to see Jake, like, ecstatic and hugging him, like – uh, but the other three are like, hey, it's just Jenkins. Like, relax. You know, so I, I don't think they remember it at all. Yeah, which would just be perfect. You know, the first episode of season five, they try the line out, and of course it doesn't work the way it never does. Right. At least for them. Wow. Uh, you know, it's uh, hopefully it's not the end of an era. So I, I guess, you know, there there's certainly is a sense of finality to the librarians, but there is hope and you know there's so many outlets there uh that are now available that you know, when you've got somebody like dean devlin pushing his series which i think by all accounts has been pretty successful and you know for whatever reason tnt wants to change their image rebrand itself whatever i i think there's a there's a home out there somewhere and and hopefully dean will be able to find it yeah i hope so so all right, well, I guess we'll just leave it there then. And, um, yeah. you know, come back next week, pick up Dollhouse again. As we said, we'll talk a little bit about the Saturn Awards and uh, and go from there. And Fred will definitely, you know, keep Star Trek in mind for sure. But 
want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Love to hear what you think about what's going on in genre TV, your, your feelings on the librarian's ending, Travelers is in production. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Spread the word if you're already a member. Email sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next time to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 3, titled Bell Shows. But until then... You know, we could have gone back to Dollhouse, or we could do something new, but whenever, whenever confronted by this, I think of my dad's advice, and why on earth would you be trying something new? <laughs> <laughs>